to Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys all back for another day. Lots of stuff to talk about. As usual, Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune joins me in a little bit to talk some gopher football, also to talk some wild. Randy's been helping out with our wild coverage, has a passion for hockey, which shows in how he talks about it and how he writes about it. So I picked his brain on some wild subjects as well as Gophers spring game, who stood out in that game, and also some Gophers football draft stuff with the NFL draft coming up on Thursday. So uh, that'll be just coming up a few minutes later on in the show here. Got to get to some Timberwolves stuff. No Kyle Anderson in Game 5 tonight. That's going to be pretty significant for them. Um, he got poked in the poked in the eye, hit in the face by uh, Anthony Edwards' teammate during Game 4. And uh, we'll miss Game 5. That's a pretty significant loss, especially with Jaden McDaniels and Naz Reed already out. So we'll get into the implications of that and whether the Wolves can still somehow find a way to extend their season on the brink again, even after winning Game 4. Um, Got to get just a little bit of uh, Vikings draft stuff at the end and some Jimmy Butler stuff. Two teams in the NBA who are low seeds on the verge of advancing in the playoffs. First, though, what did I miss? Did you expect anything else out of me, out of uh, out of this show, than to start with Aaron Rodgers on the day that he, uh, the day after, I guess, he was officially traded to the Jets. I guess officially is the wrong word at this point, but the, the reports are out there now that it's not just an idea that the terms have been agreed to. This is what we know from reporting Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets along with the Packers' first-round pick this year and a fifth-round pick this year. Jets giving up their first-round pick this year, their second-round pick this year, a sixth-round pick this year, and a conditional 2024 second-round pick that becomes a first-round pick if Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps this season. So basically, a um, couple of late-round pick swaps. Um, they swapped their first-round picks this year. The Packers are upgrading a little bit, going from 15 to 13. But really, uh, the big prize is getting a number two pick this year and what's likely to be a number one pick in 2024 as long as Rodgers plays you know, two-thirds of this season, which he would unless, of course, he got hurt this year. So quite a haul for Aaron Rodgers, I would say. Not exorbitant, but does stand in comparison to what the Jets had to give up for Brett Favre. Again, that was four months later than the Rodgers trade. That was in August after Rodgers had usurped Favre. Favre had retired, unretired, retired, unretired. Finally, the Packers were like, hey, we're moving on. Jet swooped in, gave them a third-round pick. It was a conditional pick. It became a third-round pick. Um, he only played one year there, of course, and ended up coming to the Vikings. Does not feel like that will be the scenario that plays out here with Rodgers based on how much compensation the Jets ended up giving up for him and the way his contract ultimately will be structured. But I, I believe that's kind of the final piece in this is that Rodgers will have to sign an amended contract with Green Bay to help out with some cap stuff, but that this will be official according to the reporting before the draft on Thursday night. So I feel like we need to tie a bow on this, and some of this comes back to Brett Favre and just kind of looking back at the Aaron Rodgers era, how this all played out. And here's a confession. I used to like 
Aaron Rodgers. Not just as a not just a healthy respect from afar for a player who is obviously very good, but I used to look at some of the kind of offbeat, quirky things he was doing. You know, showing up in a in all denim, wearing a cowboy hat, riding around in the backs of pickup trucks, saying funny things. You know, having this kind of kind of this attitude of we're going to go win this game. I used to think he was. I used to like his personality, or at least like it a lot more than I do now. And so, as I was thinking about that and thinking about his evolution, the evolution of how I thought of Aaron Rodgers, I tried to figure out what was kind of the pivot point. Where did this start? to change this this fracture this this fraying start to change and i think it started to change a little bit in 2017 when he got hit by anthony barr injured knocked out for the year that piece of it changed the rivalry obviously with the vikings and and i think rogers was you know he was right to be frustrated in that moment but i think he was upset a little bit more than he needed to be said some things he probably shouldn't have said in that case so that piece of it was kind of maybe start of it but more so i think it was packers moving on from ted thompson hiring brian gutekunst in 2018 Later in 2018, after that season, firing Mike McCarthy, even if that became a very good thing for Rodgers' career because they, you know, they hire Matt LaFleur, they start they start to kind of changing the offense a little bit. Now They win 13 games in 2019, 2020, 2021. Rodgers wins back-to-back MVPs. Like, this was good for his career. His demeanor somewhere in there, though, changed. His attitude somewhere in there changed and I think it became this thing where it used to be kind of this family that got torn apart a little bit this kind of way the Packers had always been run what he was used to became that that got changed somewhere in there around 2018 2019 his body language at that point started to change to me got got a little bit more standoffish a little bit more full of himself you know he was always one to be somewhat demonstrative to get frustrated when people weren't doing what he thought they should be doing on the field. But I feel like somewhere in there it changed, and my perception of him changed. I obviously still respected him as a player, respected what he could do, but started to not like him as much. Then, of course, 2020, the Packers draft Jordan Love. He goes full pout mode at that point. Um, COVID happens. He, you know, lies or at the very least obscures the truth when talking about whether or not he's been vaccinated by saying he has been immunized that's another brick in the wall of not liking Aaron Rodgers and then last year just looked like he was miserable didn't want to be there and now here we are with the trade so something happened in there that changed his relationship with the Packers and I think that relationship with the Packers changed his personality and I think that change in his personality changed my perception of Aaron Rodgers from someone who I genuinely liked to being someone who I was just like, well, that's a really good quarterback, but I don't really like that person as an individual. So that's just kind of food for thought, just kind of how this how this is all connected. I think he also had a hard time at the end you know, with two things related to Favre. One of them being he was never as loved as Favre was in Green Bay. He could have you know, he could have done a lot of different things on the field. Favre was always going to be the more relatable character off the field. 
Um, and I think that bothered him in, to a certain degree, bothered him at his core, that, that Packers fans were ready to move on from him, even if he wasn't ready to move on at a certain point, and that there was always this more genuine love for Favre, even if Aaron Rodgers, at the end of the day, was probably a better quarterback than Brett Favre. The other piece of that is I don't think he, I don't think he ever could have imagined his end playing out the same way that Favre's end played out, but it could not be more symmetrical, right? He plays, you know, a bunch of years. I think he played 15 years. Favre played 16 years. Um, both of them get traded to the Jets, both of them with young quarterbacks three years removed from being drafted with Rodgers initially and then out Jordan Love. The, the situation could not be more symmetrical in a lot of ways, and I don't think he could have ever imagined that happening to him, and then it did. So I'll be interested to see how this all plays out when the, when things are said and done, when his career is over. He'll probably mend some fences with Green Bay, just like Favre did, but for now... It's fascinating to see. It's fascinating to imagine how this all played out for Aaron Rodgers, where things started to go haywire in his relationship with the team. One final thought, as Mark Craig wrote about in today's Star Tribune, the stability at quarterback for Green Bay for the last three decades is now at least a question mark. Um, and we, we didn't know how good Aaron Rodgers was going to be, so there was a point 15 you know 15 years ago where it was like okay how how good is he really going to be here what's going to happen when he takes over for Brett Favre and I think I think we don't know about Jordan Love but what we do know is he is a great unknown and that piece of it has to give Vikings fans some confidence and some cheers like Mark Craig said in his piece that this could finally be a point where the Vikings could be a team that dominates the division if Jordan Love isn't this once in a generation quarterback continuing a nemesis theme um, Twins beat the Yankees 6-1 at Target Field on Monday. Now 3-2 against the Yankees this season, 13-10 overall. Let's call this a Sonny Gray and Joey Gallo appreciation moment here. Both of them former Yankees, motivated, I would imagine in a small part at least, to beat their former team. Neither one of them particularly enjoyed their time in New York. Both of them off to very good starts this year, in particular Sonny Gray. ERA still under one after holding the Yankees basically completely in check over seven innings. He's been dynamite for them this season. And in combination with Pablo Lopez, even though his recent start was bad, um, and uh, and Joe Ryan, giving the Twins just a great one, two, three at the top of the rotation. Gallo, another monstrous long home run. Jorge Polanco knocked in a couple runs. The offense looks like it really benefit, it's really benefiting from the return of Polanco. He's had good games each of the last two in Twins wins. So continuing the Nemesis theme, like I said, it's just one of 162, but it, it's good to see the Twins playing these good teams or these traditionally good teams well this year. Beating Houston, Beating the beating the Yankees, stuff like that this season. There'll be bigger tests along the way. I don't think those are the two best teams in the American League, but the fact that they're hanging with them, the fact that they are coming out ahead in those games is certainly a good sign and was definitely a departure from recent years. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day.
All right, I want to bring on Randy Johnson right now on a couple different things, hockey and football. Now, Randy, usually when we talk hockey, it is uh, uh, go for hockey because you cover that. And last time we talked, I think, was right after the Frozen Four, right after the NCAA title game, that loss to Quinnipiac. Uh, but you've jumped onto um, our team wild coverage. We're doing a really nice job with kind of morning after, actually probably night of posted morning after um <laughs> um kind of a thing observations from the game kind of things to things to look at and I, i've been enjoying those so i want to talk about that and some gophers football stuff uh first off how you doing pretty good you know trying to trying to uh get a get a little rest here and there uh it was a yes. very bit busy weekend with uh the the late game friday and then turn around for the uh go for spring game on saturday but it's it's been fun it's uh that's a lot of cool stuff to cover especially the, especially the hockey they indulge us with a uh, 7 p.m. start time on uh, on Tuesday, which is a little bit a little bit better for uh, for all of us. Yeah, that's 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 a nice deal there. I mean, down in Dallas, it'll, it'll be uh, well, hopefully it won't be a uh, uh, you know 1 a.m. finish. Yes, I hope not. If it is, it will be a record-setting game uh, without any doubt because they already set the record for longest playoff game in uh, in game one, the game they won, um, and they took a two-one series lead, and then Dallas comes back and wins. Three to two on Sunday. Um, a topic that you cover quite a bit in your in your in your morning after piece on on Monday, Randy. But you know this is going to be a storyline throughout this whole series. However long it goes, this kind of this this battle between Wild trying to stay out of the box, play physical, but not go over the line. And I think they felt like they didn't go over the line on uh, on Sunday. It called for I think only three total power plays, but two of them on calls that I don't think Marcus Fleno liked at all. And I don't think uh, Dean Evison liked it all either. What was your impression of, first of all, of the penalties that got called? Cause you, you probably have a, a keener eye for what's fair and what's not fair in a, in a penalty situation. Yeah. I thought, I thought both were pretty soft calls really. Uh, you know, the first one um, he's finishing a check. Uh, the guy had the puck. It just released the puck. He finishes the check uh, blast them pretty good and everything. Uh, the second one was really mysterious there. Uh, they call tripping on him. He came in with a uh, a shoulder to chest hit. Uh, the opponent's stick got up, got him in the nose, took right. him out of there, and he, he gets penalized for it at a pretty key point in the game. And there there might have been a, a, a hit that he had that uh, uh, Dallas took a retaliatory penalty on it. That one might have been one uh, that would have been under the category of possibly uh, penalizing uh, the Wild on that one, but. Uh, it you know the, the other two were 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 pretty tough calls for the wild I, I would say yeah i thought so too especially that second one cuz he he comes in he gets hit when they when the when they're when i'm seeing them sorting it out i'm thinking it's going to very worse for the wild be coincidental cuz he came in pretty sure. hard he he could have got something where his stick was up i didn't see it at first but i thought they might be getting their own power play on that when i saw that the stick got up and got him in the nose and then all of a sudden all it is is a penalty on the wild and of course dallas scores on the ensuing power play, just like they did on the first Felino penalty. And that's the story of the game. I mean, so as, as, as they think about it, how do they, how do they kind of reconcile playing hard, staying out of the box while also a killing penalties better, but B recognizing that this is kind of the difference in the series right now is that, you know, five on four Dallas, that I think is outscoring them eight to three, which includes the one shorthanded goal for, uh, for Dallas as well. Yeah. You know, the situation, they, they... The, the seven uh, power play goals they've, they've allowed it's 
you know, they got to shore up that penalty kill. That that's it's that's just biting them hard right now. Uh, Dean Evison's been asked, you know, do you have do you change your approach, your physical approach? And he says, no, you know, they they need to stay physical. That's their game. That they're going to continue playing that. Uh, you know, they hope that the referee uh, doesn't uh, show what they did last night. They, you know, where you do get a couple soft calls against you. Uh, it's got to be pretty frustrating when you feel you're playing uh, the the game the right way, the playoff way, and you get calls like that. Um, that said, it's it's been a a very interesting back and forth between uh, Everson and uh, Pete DeBoer uh, yes. on the on the penalties. Uh, DeBoer is you know trying uh, very hard to let let the uh, officials be aware of that the Wild takes a lot of penalties uh, and plays that physical game. Uh, Dallas last night came out very strong on the physical end too. First period, twenty-one hits. Uh, you know they they adjusted uh, their their play a bit and uh, basically tried to take the Wilds game a little bit and throw it back in their face early on at least. Uh, the Wild weathered that storm and and uh, you know it was a pretty tight game the rest of the way. The narrative though isn't exactly true. Like the, during the regular season, the Wild is basically a middle of the pack team in terms of penal in terms of power plays allowed, and they were kind of a middle of the pack team in terms of. Their penalty kill, it was not great, but it was okay. It was serviceable. And Dallas's power play was pretty good. I think they were like 10th or 11th in regular season power play. What? So DeBoer is certainly trying to get these calls, but I don't think it's the wild that's so, you know, so that's that they're taking so many penalties. In fact, the power plays have been pretty even in this series. It's that Dallas, I think we've seen a few calls that maybe they didn't like, that, that the wild hasn't liked. And Dallas has just taken way more advantage of this. And I'm just, I, how do they, how, if they're not going to, if if the calls are going to go a certain way, you're going to understand that every game there's going to be three or four power plays, no matter what. How do you then like what what's the mystery of the penalty kill? Is it so much? Is it just that they have only had Joel Eriksson neck for nineteen nineteen seconds of this series, or how do you get better on the penalty kill? Well, that that's that that uh, is one area that hurts not having neck out there. I mean, obviously, very good uh, defensive centerman. Uh, but the other thing is faceoffs. Uh, Dallas is so good on the faceoffs, best best team in the league, and you know, you saw uh, for, uh, game one, uh, uh, three seconds after after a, a penalty began, uh, and then six seconds after a penalty began, they had power play goals because they won the draws and uh, capitalized right away on there. That That's one thing where Eck would uh, be uh, a big help in the circle. Um, you know, basically the Wild's best guy in the dot at, at times. And I think that's, that's an interesting point, too, because I think face-off percentage can be a little bit overblown or overrated sometimes because the margins are so thin. Like what's really the difference between a team that's 52% on face-offs versus 47% is basically like one face-off every 20 face-offs. But if you're good enough that you are consistently winning draws on the power play and maintaining the possession and you're in that, that's where, the, that's where it really does matter. Yeah. That's, that's the, you know, you get that first, you get that possession, you get a little screen going or whatever. All of a sudden it's in the back of the net. And that's what's happened a while. A few times there. Now, I don't think we have any more goalie controversies on our hands or, or goalie questions, but I wouldn't, I, I'm not going to put it past Dean Everson to, to make a different decision. Well, Gustafson played awfully well. I think he, he, the game, game four was probably not his, probably was the weakest of, of his games in this series, but still, I have to imagine they're going to stay with him. What, what do you think along those lines? Yeah, I think so. I, I, w- I would guess, you know, unless they saw something out of last night that, uh, they didn't like, but I don't. I don't think uh, that's the case. Uh, you know, they're not. They're not going to say it. And Dean's Dean's holding everything close to the vest. He's not going to 
He said he's not going to divulge any uh, lineup uh, uh, changes or anything. So, yeah, I, I would very much expect uh, Gustafson to be back in there Tuesday night in Dallas. Any changes then are going to have to be internal. And one change is uh, one goal combined from Kaprizov and Boldy in four games. And I think Kaprizov's been visible. He just hasn't cashed in on his chances. Boldy's got three assists. So it's not like these guys aren't doing anything, but we saw how good Kaprizov was in, was in that series last year, really carrying a lot of the offense. And he was good against Vegas two years ago, too. This has been a little bit of a contrast. I don't know if, if he's kind of a sleeping giant right now or if they're do, doing something to to hold him down. What what in your estimation is is kind of the is kind of how you view his series so far? Yeah, you know, it's it's a situation where all of a sudden this year they got they have the balance scoring, but they aren't getting it from from their normal uh, productive uh, goal scores. Uh basically it's it, it's keep keep going at it, keep go um getting the pucks on the net. You know, last night uh Couple glorious uh, scoring chances that he failed, uh, Kripisov failed to convert on that that uh, really hurt. The one, especially, he had a wide open net and he, and he shot high eye on it. And that that would have that definitely would have been a goal. Um, yeah, it just just keep at it. I guess you, you, the more chances you get, the more often you're going to get one in. It's just uh, they're boldly very snake bit uh, right now on the goal scoring end of it. Uh, you know, Friday night uh, it seems like all the passes. The Wild were making were crisp and on the tape last night. Not so much. It uh, they they kind of fought the puck a little bit and were not quite as consistent uh, in the, in their passing game. Uh, basically, uh, you know that that so short circuit some chances. Opportunity missed. Obviously, when you're up two one and playing game four at home. That said, I feel like on balance they've been the better team in this series i i feel like the seven power play goals for dallas is a bit of an outlier i mean maybe the the lack of five on five scoring is a bit of an outlier for them too so maybe not to get too excited their offense could come from a lot of different places at any time but to me it still feels like this is the wild series to win even if the even if two of the three games are in dallas what's your judgment overall on the series before we move on to some football talk um, yeah, I'd, I'd say they've been the better team five on five for sure. And, you know, you, you want to keep the game that way. If you're the wild, uh, the, uh, X factor in there has been, uh, Jake Ottinger. Uh, he, he's been very, very good for Dallas, uh, especially, you know, especially last night. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you run into hot goalie, it, 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 it uh, changes things a bit, but I, you know, I, I don't think the wild uh, aside from game two, I don't think the wild's goaltending net has been an issue. Um, Yes, Gustafson could could have been a bit better last night, but uh, game one he was amazing. Uh, you know, I, I you know I think he has just as good a chance to steal a game, another game um, as Ottinger does. Uh, so it's just really two evenly matched teams. You know, they weren't separated by much in the standings, and it it's it's showing up in this series. Yeah, I think that's a good overall takeaway. It's been a really good series so far, and even if a wild fan might want them to. You know, obviously, win this next one and finish it off in six. It does have the feel of a series that could certainly go seven and could go down to the wire in a final game. Um, Randy, let's transition quick to go for football. The spring game was this weekend. Had to move it inside. I feel like they they should just start it inside from now on and then move it outside if it actually winds up being nice in late April. Because I feel like they have to move it inside more often than not. Yeah, that was um. It, it's you know the weather just has not cooperated in the last few years, and then you miss a COVID year, the and then 2020. Um, 
but it, you know, uh, it was a very uh, astute decision to move it indoors because it was a miserable day. Yeah. So I, I don't think, uh, you know, yeah, you would have your, you would have had your hearty souls there going outdoors uh, to watch it, but I don't think it would have been uh, much more attendance wise than they actually had indoors with with the family and alumni of the players. Wouldn't have been forty five thousand like Dion got in uh, Colorado. Oh uh, no, 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 nope. You would not have seen that. You wouldn't have seen PJ Flack out in a cowboy hat like Dion. <laughs> so um, no, it's it's uh, no, it's just uh, on, a, on a miserable day like that, uh, you people gonna stay inside probably. Well, you were among the the few then that got to see it. What were your? I read your takeaways. Um, Sounds like the quarterbacks, especially Kramer and. Um, Ethan Calcmanis were were pretty good. Calcmanis a little bit of a slow start. Kramer though sounds like he was pretty good throughout. Yeah, uh, Cole Kramer was dialed in pretty good. You know, get, gives them you know a nice uh, nice option there um, if they uh, you know if they have to go to a backup. You know, I I don't think that uh, Ethan lost the job by any means with his performance. He he, he uh, rebounded nicely. Um, but yeah, Cole Kramer was was, was very sharp. Uh, yeah, you know, I thought he he was the standout uh, at the quarterbacks and. It was good to see um, uh, the uh, early enrollee freshman uh, Drew Viato, who he, he had some nice throws too. Uh, he's he's a big guy, and he, you know he looks like uh, he can play the part pretty well. A lot of turnover, obviously, with with the roster. Some new new guys in major skill position roles. Obviously, no Mo Ibrahim anymore, so that's a big change from past years. And wide receivers, some some turnover there. Who who else in the skill positions caught your eye? Okay, and then the wideouts, that was uh, the guys that caught my eye were obviously a holdover in Lamecki Brockington, uh, the hero of the Wisconsin game last year with a winning touchdown. He had a nice day. Um, uh, Elijah Spencer, the transfer from Charlotte, uh, uh, he basically uh, he just wore out uh, the, the the opposing defense on slant routes, uh, routes uh, all afternoon. He, he played pretty well. Corey Crooms, another transfer, made a couple nice catches, uh, went down low one time and Scooped one before it hit hit the ground. Um, you know, he looked like he's somebody who could who could make a difference. Uh, in the backfield, uh, impressed with both uh, Zach Evans and then Darius Taylor, the uh, incoming freshman, early enrollee. Uh, Taylor had a a nice uh, physical run to set up a touchdown uh, late late in the game, and then Taylor uh, or uh, Evans showed some breakaway speed on a on a play about a seventy five yard touchdown run where he uh, he juked. Uh, um, Coleman Bryson pretty well to to uh, to to get free in the in in the uh, in the secondary and uh, take it to the house. Last thing on this, and I want to ask you a draft question before we go. What what do you make of PJ Fleck essentially saying this is something paraphrasing here because I don't have the direct quote right in front of me, but saying this has been like the hardest spring they've had in a while and that they've kind of had to grow up fast. What what do you what do you make of of him saying that right now? Hardest and what he was saying basically the most amount of work they've had to do to get, get this team ready. Uh, you know, there's, there has been a lot, a lot of turnover, a lot of those uh, sixth and some seventh year uh, seniors that, that are, that they're moving on, uh, you know, and then, you know, you, you, you no longer have uh, your all-time leading rusher, uh, all America center in John Michael Schmitz. Um, uh, say for, for what it's worth, I mean, basically your quarterback and Tanner Morgan, who has the most victories in school history, um, you know, guys like that, uh, they've been there forever. I mean, it's, it's somebody had pointed out that uh, PJ Fleck hasn't coached a practice that uh, until this spring that that didn't include Tanner Morgan. Wow! In there since his his, uh, his first year. 
That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It just it does feel like there's some some level a level of variance for this season, and a lot of it does depend on how how quick they. I think what you said, how quick they can grow up, how quick they kind of adjust on the fly, and how good some of these new players are. But it, it's got it got a level. It brings a level of intrigue to it when there are new people in the mix. Um, Randy, you mentioned John Michael Schmitz, obviously um, somebody who's got a pretty high draft stock. Where, where do we? We keep saying like late first, early second round for him for 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 the draft. You know, maybe getting his name called Thursday, maybe having to wait till early Friday, and then a bunch of other guys have a chance to get drafted as well. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, you know there is a chance he, he uh, John Michael goes on on Thursday. I would probably say there's a better chance it's, it's like the second round, but uh, you never know. I mean, he's he he's been very impressive in in the uh, in the. Um, Senior Bowl things like that, and in the combine and in the pro day. So you know that people have been read Twitter. Everybody's raving about him. Um, yeah, then then you look at uh, a couple defensive backs and Terrell Smith and Jordan How Howden might be might be third day guys. Uh, Mo Ibrahim. Um, be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, I would say probably a third day guy. It's you know r- running backs aren't valued as much right in the NFL as they are say in college. Um, so then, you know, you, you got guys like that. We'll we'll see what happens with Tanner. I, I imagine somebody will, um, if he's he's not drafted, uh, somebody will, uh, you know, take a look at him for for uh, free agent signing. He's already been drafted by uh, the Michigan Panthers of, of the USFL. Um, then you got guys like uh, uh, Thomas Rush, defensive end. You know, he, he there's a chance maybe he sli- slides in late in the in the draft, but uh, obviously somebody who. Uh, would would get a good look as as a free agent signee too. Yeah, well, it should be intriguing. We'll be looking to see where all of those guys go in addition to everything else from the draft. Uh, Randy, appreciate it on all these subjects. We'll be watching Tuesday night to see how that wild game goes. Of course, plenty of coverage coming from that on Wednesday show as well. Until then, Randy, appreciate it. Take care, get some rest. Yeah, sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the insights from Randy Johnson on all of those subjects, um, especially wild hockey. He's been doing a good job in, you know, helping out with Sarah McClellan um, as she's been covering this series, just with kind of some supplemental stuff and watching the games, you know, in, in a little bit of a different way. And I appreciate his kind of thoughts on the penalties, the, the you know things that things that we're watching right now, things that we're all seeing right now. So thanks to Randy for hopping on and talking about that. Couple interesting things. Let's finish with the cooler number one. Um, <clears throat> like Randy was talking about, draft coming up Thursday night. Saw something from Todd McShay earlier this week. Hendon Hooker, the quarterback that's been mocked to the Vikings a lot lately, maybe now expected to not get out of the top twenty, and the Vikings pick twenty third. So a lot of rising on the board for for Hendon Hooker. So we'll have to watch that. Is he even going to be available when the Vikings pick at 23? A lot of smoke screens get thrown up this time of year. I don't necessarily, I guess I'll say I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe whatever you know, whatever is going to happen with him, we will know in a couple days anyway. But that's inter- interesting to me. A guy who at, at one point was probably more of a second-round grade at least, maybe third round, is now maybe thought of in much higher stature um, than, than, he, uh, than he originally was. So what the Vikings are able to do, what they are deciding to do, what they want to do, we'll know all that in a couple days. You can ch- check out all of our mock drafts, too, on StarTribune.com. Ben Gessling and Mark Craig will have mock drafts this week. Um, but it's just, you know, 
quarterback is just an interesting thing. Anytime a quarterback is in play, the draft becomes more important, and I'm really interested to see if they like Hendon Hooker and if he's going to be there at 23 or what they might have to do if they really do like him. And a couple final thoughts here. Timberwolves, like I said at the jump, will be without Kyle Anderson tonight as they try to stave off elimination against the Nuggets. That makes a tough ask even harder. I will be fascinated to see how they change or don't change rotations without Kyle Anderson. He's been one of their most important players for a lot of this season. He you know, probably was good for 25 or 30 minutes, so that's a lot of minutes you are going to have to replace. Do they do more of the two big lineup? Do they go small and you know, guys like Torian Prince and Nikhil Alexander-Walker get more minutes? Does, some, does someone inexperienced get more minutes like Nathan Knight or even someone like Josh Minot? I don't know. It's a, it's a big game to throw someone into, I would imagine it's going to be the trusted players that play more minutes, not new guys taking up Kyle Anderson's minutes. But that is why we watch the games, and that is a subplot tonight. A tough guy to be missing, especially when you're already missing Jaden McDaniels and Naz Reed. And to finish off with a nemesis theme, Jimmy Butler had 56 points for the Heat last night as they beat the Bucks. They are up 3-1 in that series, as are the Lakers after the Lakers beat Memphis in overtime. The Lakers, the seven seed. The Bucks, the number one overall seed in the NBA, and of course then the number one seed in the East on the brink. We'll see if they can come back. Giannis, of course, has been hurt. But man, Jimmy Butler, 56 points in that game, putting the heat on his back. LeBron with a 20-20 game. The best players show up in the biggest moments. Something to remember for Anthony Edwards and Kirill Kaprizov tonight. That will do it for me. Should be plenty of stuff coming off of those two big playoff games, Game 5s tonight, as well as other stuff tomorrow. Until then, enjoy the rest of your sunny Tuesday. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.